morning, trail view. If you can, please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's reading will be from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generous generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Quite the transition from 35 verses last week to five this one. Amen. Um, super excited for that. I'm Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had the chance to get to meet you, know that I am really excited to do so, and I encourage you uh, to stick around after our gathering is over so that I can get to do that. Um, a couple things just to remind you really quickly. If you came in late, we just want to point out there are two cards on your seat. Uh, the one that we want you to know about the most is that blue and green one. And that's our Connect card, and that's just our way to know who you are. Uh, what you have going on gives us a chance in the back to, to pray alongside of some of the things that are going on in your life. Also on the front, there's some boxes that you can check that just designate that you would like uh, hey, some advice or some wisdom or some info in a certain direction. We would be happy and honored to do that. You can hand that to either Pastor Derek or myself, or you can drop it in the black box uh, there on that table in the back when you're done. Um, I am super excited for today. Uh, last, last week, uh, we got to, got to preach over Psalm 104, which had this big focus over praising God for the created order that he has made everything with. And uh, it's such an, we, we took a look at just a really big picture. We, we took a look at like the created universe and how he has done that and how he has maintained everything and the very specific details that go into place that just make life possible for all of us. It's an incredible thing to be reminded of to praise him for. And um, today, looking at Psalm 100, uh, it's, a, it's a different approach. It's kind of still in the same vein. Last time we looked at praise, and this one, Psalm 100, is a, is a psalm of thanksgiving. And so uh, they do kind of go hand in hand. And so we're going to start today with a little bit of story. It was Christmas Day. You guys ready for the story? Did you feel the transition? Here it comes. Christmas Day, 1999. Glorious year. Uh, I'm at home with my parents. I'm 16 years old. Carry the two. That's right, 16 years old. And so our tradition when we woke up was we would come downstairs. Uh, my sister and I, Katie, we would sit down there uh, right by the fireplace because my dad always had this um, tradition where uh, the best things, quote unquote, the best things that we would receive uh, would be in the stocking. So there would be some things wrapped and stuff like that. They all still said Santa because, well, mistakes were made. But let's just move on from there. Um, but, uh, like, you go downstairs, and we're sitting by the fireplace because we're ready. Like, we know every year there's something that we don't expect. There's some kind of surprise. And so I'm walking downstairs. I see everything. I'm sitting down there with Katie, and we're looking at all the presents. And I'm, I'm, I'm very aware at this moment that there are very few things with my name on them. See where this is going? You've been there. You know you all counted. Don't even pretend like you didn't. Oh, what I get? What I get? And so, like this moment, I'm looking at things. I'm seeing how things are going, and there's not my name on there a whole bunch. And so, we start going with our tradition. We have breakfast first, which is painful for children. Uh, but you know, after that, we sit down and we're starting to open up our presents. And it was the normal things. I got some socks. Who doesn't get socks? Why? Why is Christmas a time for socks? Can we stop with the socks? I'm sorry. That's just for me. Uh, but I, but like. I got some socks, I got some shirts and some other things like that. Uh, there's a book I wanted that got me a book. 
And that was it. And like, that's great. And this is not a, uh, oh, woe is me because I didn't have presence moment. This was a, I was expecting something grandiose. We get into our stockings, and Katie, Katie goes through all of hers, and she gets hers. And I think that year she got a phone. It was like, oh, that was a really cool moment for her. Like, a, that was a big deal. It's just 99. All right, phone in 99 is not a phone today. It was more challenged, you know, the Nokia boat kind of approach. And so, I mean, like, I get through mine, and there's um, normal things. Normal things for us were things like uh, cashews. Just don't laugh. It's a real thing. Uh, walnuts. There's some oranges in there for citrus so no one gets scurvy. That's good parenting. I mean, but like we, we had the gold coins, like you know, you know, the chocolate gold coins that were just wrapped up. And so we had those kind of things. At the very bottom of the stocking, there was uh, like what would have been a, a Hot Wheels monster Jeep. And man, I pulled that thing out and I'm like, I, again, I'm 16. And it's cool, you know? I mean, it, it looks nice. I like the color. I'm a green guy. Like, I'm down with, down with that. Had a huge lift on it. looked great, you know? It was like, it's a great, it's a, it's a great toy. Thanks, you know? And I, I, I responded so poorly. I, but I responded so poorly because I had this whole expectation built up that in this moment, I was going to be receiving something of, like, worth, of value. I was going to feel it. I was going to know that it was mine. And, uh, and holding that little thing in my hands as it just kind of rolled all over the place, it was like, I, I don't like this. This, this, is, this is a child's toy. It's a cool child's toy, but I'm not, I'm not a child. And, uh, and so like, it, was a, it was an interesting morning. And so I was feigning thankfulness and gratitude as best as I could, which was terrible. Um, attitude that morning was just awful. And so, like, we, we finished doing that. We always do a puzzle together, play some games. Uh, our tradition uh, for a while there was that we would go see a movie that day together. So just a family, we'd, we'd just go see a movie. So we get back, and it's now time for dinner time, which is leftovers from, like, the previous seven nights, family coming over. And, like, uh, you, see, you all know what I mean there. And uh, we get there, so we're eating it at the house, and uh, my dad's just looking at me all funny. And he, he, he's one of those people who can give you the side look, like, with the one eyeball, and you're like, What's, what is, what is something, something bad's happening? I don't know what it is, but it's wrong. And I could just tell he's looking at me. So I look over there and he's like, um, what'd you think about your presence today? And I was like, crap. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I don't know what to think about it. I was a little disappointed. Like the, the thing was pretty cool, you know, um, but it's like, it feels like a kid's toy. Like, I, I don't know what to think about it. And he was like, okay. He was like, well, did you like look all in it? And I was like, no. And he was like, okay. And so he's one of those uh, walk-through teaching lessons kind of people. So you, you didn't appreciate it, so you didn't kind of dive into it. And I was like, I, I guess so. And he was like, well, maybe you should have another look. And I was like, okay. Like, tr what am I going to pull out of this Jeep Hot Wheels that like, I, I can't see or whatever. And to be fair, it wasn't the size of a Hot Wheels. It was like this big. The body of the Jeep was like that big with the big tires on the side. And so I go to it and I look at it and I start playing around and the doors open. Oh, yeah. The wheels spin. Oh, yeah, that's great. It's got reflectors for, for uh, headlights, you know. And, uh, and the top, you know, the Jeep, you have the top thing come off, soft top, hard top. The top came off. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I pull the top off and in the back seat, there's a car key. So I pull out the car key and I'm like, ha, 
freaking hilarious. Like, like this is incredibly rude. Like, I like, it feel like you're just rubbing it in. And my dad is just stoic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, at some point as that 16-year-old kid, it, it began to dawn on me that something's off again. Like, I, I'm missing, there's a piece missing here. Everyone else is like waiting for me to put the final jigsaw puzzle piece in there to say, ah, I see the picture now. Like it was that kind of moment. And so I finally just asked, okay, what's going on? Like I feel, I feel like I'm being rude. I feel disrespected. And I feel like this, I, just, I don't know what's going on. And dad was like, well, follow me. And so um, we go outside. <clears throat> and uh, somehow in the midst of all this, I don't know how he arranged it, but um, we walked outside, and like, we have a little driveway, and it curves to the right, and it goes right to the driveway, like that kind of thing, a little walkway to the driveway. And as soon as we turn the corner, there's this green Jeep Wrangler with big old tires on the side, a hard top that comes off, actual lights instead of reflectors. The doors opened on this one. <laughs> Had this huge bow as if you'd bought it from like the dealership, you know, that kind of, we all have all seen the commercials. And so I'm just sitting there, and I was overwhelmed with how I had behaved. Like it was the instant moment that I knew I did not deserve. My behavior, my actions, my heart did not deserve what I was receiving. I was frustrated. I thought I was being tricked or duped or um, whatever falls in that category. But in that moment, I knew that I'd behaved so poorly and did not deserve that gift. And so the next 20 minutes was me trying to communicate that to my parents. And they were all, I mean, my, my sister was in on it, everyone, it was, everyone had a great time. But I mean, I spent that time doing that, trying to explain to them how terrible I felt. And they were so gracious and so kind. They were like, they didn't treat me poorly. They knew what they were, they were trying to set me up in the first place. Like, like they knew, that it was a plan. But at the same time, it was really painful. So after I got through that part of understanding that my behavior, my responses, and my heart are showing that I don't deserve this, uh, I begin to transition into that next thing of like, I just received this. I must have licked every side of that Jeep that afternoon. I mean, I, was, I just sat in it. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't care. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to smell all the smells, push all the buttons. If it opened, I wanted to open it. If it unscrewed, I wanted to unscrew. Does a cigarette lighter work? I don't even smoke. It doesn't matter. Like, it was like, this was something, a gift that had been given to me. It's incredible. It's amazing. And I love it. So I wanted to know everything about it. I'm sitting in the passenger seat, reading through like the manual. Have you ever sat down and read through like the manual that's in your glove department that you've completely forgotten about. Okay, Brian's the only person that's read the manual. Write that down later. Uh, but I mean, like, it was that moment. I was so excited. I was so grateful for what I had been given, and I wanted to know everything I could about it. Turned out to be a really incredible, incredible day of Thanksgiving for me, to just sit on that received gift, knowing the value of something I just had, and thanking my parents and God for it at the time. And so that's what today is about. Psalm 100 is a psalm for giving thanks. Don't you love it when like the subtitle of a chapter in the Bible just straightforward says what it's for? Here you go. It's going to be easy. This is for giving thanks. Follow this. I just love that. And as we talked about last week, praise and thanksgiving, they go hand in hand. 
If they're going on the walk, they're holding hands. Um, You cannot praise without having thanksgiving, and all thanksgiving should lead toward praise. And so today, going through Psalm 100, we're going to look at the thankful life of a Christian. The thankful life of a Christian. Now, uh, before we get into that, here's what I want to do. We're going to start with a series of questions, and I kind of apologize a little bit up front, uh, but um, we're going to go through a little bit of an emotional awareness, self-emotional wellness. Yes, Liv, we're going to have to feel a little bit of feelings this morning, but we're going to be okay. Small feelings, not big feelings, it's going to be great. Uh, but like, the reason we're doing this is there's such a connection between how we're feeling and how we are thankful. And so here's, uh, we're just going to start right off the bat with this question. I'm just going to let it sit for a second. Are you a thankful person? Are you a thankful person? Sometimes in in these kind of questions, it's best if you kind of ask them backwards. So maybe you could say it like this. Uh, Would the people who know you the best say that you are a thankful person? Whether you like your answer or not, just make sure it's honest. Um, Now, I want you to have your answer, and I want you to apply this next question to how you answered the first one. So does your circumstances or situations dictate whether or not you are thankful? When you were answering that question, was your level of thankfulness dependent upon your circumstances or a certain situation? Now, in getting into Thanksgiving, um, we just have to kind of start at this place. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mention some like emotional words um, that just are d- descriptive emotional words. And so what I want to do is um, uh, when I say these words, I just want you to, in your head, kind of answer yes. Please don't raise your hands. Do not point to someone else. But like, I mean, like just this is for you. And so uh, l- let me just start with some emotional words and we'll, you kind of self-identify where you are in them. Are you right now? Are you feeling sad, uh, depressed, disturbed? Are you feeling lonely? Are you bitter? Are you frustrated? Are you discontent? Are you unhappy? Are you upset? Are you dissatisfied with life. Now, if you are feeling some, any combination maybe of some of those things this morning, then it's very possible uh, that you're most likely struggling with being a thankful person. It's usually how we work. This is kind of the equation that we just kind of play out without really thinking about it. If I'm feeling these things, then those are the things that tend to be heaviest. They tend to be the most weighty. And therefore, we usually don't get down the road to the things that make us a thankful person. So um, what's interesting about those words is those are actually antonyms of the word thankful. I just found that really interesting, the complete opposite. So it would make a lot of sense if you answered yes to any of those emotions that you might be struggling with some thankfulness in your life. And here's the thing about thankfulness. It is crucial to the life of a Christian. Thankfulness is a really big deal. 
Jerry Bridges um, gave us this, uh, some really hard, some harsh words to hear about thankfulness, but it also helps us to understand just how important they are. Here's what he said. He said, failure to give the thanks due to God is sin. Short, sharp, but have you, have you thought about that? Have you thought that not being thankful to God is actually sinful? Until this message, I haven't. Here's how he continues. He says, it may seem like a benign sin to us because it doesn't harm anyone else, but it actually is an affront and insult to the one who created us and sustains us every second of our lives. So why aren't we thankful? Do you know that Psalm 100 is the only psalm that is explicitly intended for thanksgiving? Explicitly. Like, yes, you'll see thankfulness in other parts and other psalms, but um, uh, it really is the only psalm that is focused entirely on uh, thanksgiving. It not only tells us uh, what to do in our thanksgiving, but graciously it tells us how we can be thankful. So I'm really excited uh, to walk through uh, the word today uh, together. Verses 1 and 2, I'm just going to read this to you real quick. Uh, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. This first little section leads you immediately into things that feel like joyful acts. Then it feel like, hey, here's what you should do and how your heart posture should be with him. Um, The whole beginning of Psalm 100 is this invitation for all the earth to enter into his presence. Everybody come and be with me. Come and sing with joyful hearts. Gladly give yourself to serve me and with me. Now, just a real small nerd moment. Uh, The verbs here used in this psalm, they're not singular. These aren't directed at one person. All these verbs are plural. This is a call for all the people, for all to come to him, to worship and praise as a demonstration of thankfulness to him. When I'm hearing this, here's how this lands in my heart. I feel like what it's saying is like, we as Christians, we should be like excited about coming to church on Sunday. I mean it. Like That's what it's saying. We should come with like a joyful heart We're joining together. We are bonded together by the same redemption and salvation that that was brought to us by Christ on the cross. We should be excited about that. But how many were like, frickin' church on Sundays. I gotta put pants on. I don't wanna shower today. My kids are throwing up over there. I don't even care anymore. I mean, like, like it, it very quickly can become something else. But it is such a privilege to gain admittance into the presence of God, to have liberty of access before him, to pray together and hear the preaching of God's word together. There are three things that kind of points out here. And like one is like this shouting, this joyful noise to the Lord. And it brings up this imagery of like a coronation process for a king. Can you just like just imagine that scenario in your head real quick? Just a whole bunch of people gathering around, praising the fact that one who is worthy sits on the throne, rules with mercy and grace and truth and justice. 
Like just an incredible coronation moment. That's what this brings up. That's how we should feel inside of us. Christians, like we should come to church. We should come to the presence of God wherever that is with applause in our hearts. According to the gospel, all of us, all of who we are, all of what we have done is accepted, our imperfections acknowledged, our sins forgiven, all of our heavenly endeavors are graciously rewarded. So how can we not come to God with this feeling of thanksgiving and joy in our hearts? In addition to coming in the Lord with that joyful noise, that shout, we are to serve the Lord with gladness. And this word serve, it actually carries a couple of meanings. But one that's really popular is it, it means like participating in public worship. I just, I love that. Here's what that reminds us. It reminds us that while attending church is far from the whole of the Christian life, it is nonetheless an important element of our service to the Lord. I would say this statement, though, is, is very true of this. Like, far too many Christians consider weekly worship in the church a mere option based on convenience, where we, we compare it with competing activities and other things going on, where we, we look at our yes to going to it based off of how everything else is going. Oh, this has been so much. Oh, I'm, I'm really tired. And those things can be real. But it finds itself sometimes into that kind of category. It matters. It matters that you attend church weekly. I know, listen to this like self-promotion moment, but like this is just what's coming from the word. It matters. It's so good. The service matters to God. It matters to the church. It matters to you. And here's, here's I think, a statement that wraps it up. I think it's going to be very difficult for you to find a Christian who is growing in their faith that isn't also committed to regularly attending a weekly gathering. I think it's going to be really hard to find that person. So in, in addition to that, we have the shout to the Lord. We have uh, serve him. In addition to that, uh, we are to come singing to the Lord. I love it when like non-musical folk hear this and they're like, nah, that ain't me. I hear you, but you, you, do, you don't want this. The Lord, our Father, is not pleased by the noises that come out of like I, I love that kind of response because it has nothing to do with it. It's not an evaluation of how good you think you are or anyone else thinks you are. It's a representation of the love that we have for him. And it just comes out in singing and praising. And I think, here, I think this is an interesting fact. If you've grown up in an evangelical church, uh, where like worship was a regular part of things. So whenever you went to a church, like they had some kind of singing, they had some worship, something in that vein. I think if you grew up in that kind of environment, then it's probably really uh, might be difficult for you to understand just how unique joyful singing is to the Christian faith. Uh, other, other religions, uh, they have um, some repetitive chants, um, they have like a specially appointed clergy person who just does the worship parts. Uh, sometimes it's like um, um, specific choirs, and that's the only thing that does worship. And uh, while Christless religions, Christless religions, present a grim form of worship, we as Christians we sing together loudly with joyful hearts. I heard you this morning. It was wonderful. And as much as I am so thankful and love our worship team, 
It's the fact that we're all joining and singing in together. It's the part that breaks through all the things that don't matter in the heart. It reminds you of who we are, of how good he is and what he's done. And the right response in that moment is just to praise him and worship him. Wherever there is the warm knowledge of sins forgiven, wherever Christ is exalted in his grace and saving power, then the singing takes on notes of triumph and joy. And I love that. This whole first section, verses 1 and 2, is this invitation in of these joyful acts that lead us into thanksgiving. So here we are. Here's how this is going to work today. It's a little bit different for those of you who are uh, avid note takers. I apologize. I'm switching things up. We're going to explain things. At the end of the explanation, we're going to have the point. Uh, I gave this message to Lauren uh, late this week, and she pointed it out to me. I needed to let you guys be aware that that's happening. So here's the first point that we just talked to. Christians should shout, serve, and sing to the Lord. We're looking at thanksgiving to God. This should be the expressions of that. Out of our thanksgiving, we as Christians should be shouting his name, serving him and his kingdom and his mission, and singing our praise and worship to the Lord. Now, I don't think any of us have problems understanding those things that we just talked about, those kind of three little directives, those imperatives, those commands of what to do with our thanksgiving and how to give that to God. Uh, but, but I think at the same time, uh, we still have this disconnect that stops us from getting the thankfulness. Okay, yes, I understand that there are things I'm supposed to do, but I don't know that I feel or am thankful. There's this weird tension that it's like, I hear what it's saying, but it's really hard for me to get there. Now, thankfully, the next verse, verse 3, gives us what to do about that. Follow along with me here in verse 3. Um, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I want you to hang on to that first word, no. No. The word no makes an incredibly important part of how we approach thankfulness. And here's, I want you guys to catch this. Uh, we worship and we thank God not according to our feelings, needs, or desires, but based on what we know about him. Interesting. Here's what this verse helps us to know about God. The first thing that it mentions to us is that know that the Lord, the God of the Bible, is the true and only God. I know that is a simple and obvious statement, but the profound effect and weight of that statement is massive, and we forget it because we're, it's, a, it's a common thing. One of the first things we learn and we know. It's huge. The earth is not God. The trees and the rocks, they are not God. Science is not God. Sexual pleasure is not God. You can fill in the blank. It is just our Lord. He is God. God is Lord alone. And here's the thing. It is our privilege to know him and to give him our joyful service and worship and thanksgiving. Know that the, God, the Lord, the God of the Bible, is the true and only God. The second thing it tells us is that he is our creator. 
He is the creator. Consider just briefly, really briefly, real quick, we're not going to spend much time, but just the intricacies of the human body. Just the capacity of the brain, the, the dexterity of our hands, like how an eyeball works, how ears work. Like it's ridiculously amazing. It's just ridiculous. But to marvel at those things and the many other things that are in there is to glorify the far greater being who made us. He is the creator. To expand our vision uh, to the skies and the starry host like we did last week, we, we can only, in doing that, bow down to the creator and exclaim, oh my gosh, I'm his. I'm his. He made me. Only he has the right to our service, has the right to our obedience and our worship. You and I were made for his glory. That is why we exist. You and I were made for his glory. And what a privilege, again, it is for you and I that we can have a personal relationship with this God, God the creator. Like that's, that's incredible. So the third thing, though, uh, is that, that we need to know about him is that he is the creator, he is Lord the God, but he is the redeemer. Verse 3 concludes with this, that we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And I think we skip over this one quite a bit. God redeemed us, you and I, specifically by sending his son to lay down his life on our behalf. Remember what Jesus said in John 10. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We need to know that he is our redeemer. That he takes up his staff and he leads his flock. That he leads us out from the power of sin and he leads us to life eternal in heaven with the Father. He says later in verse 27 that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Every believer can then now rejoice. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Knowing God as redeemer through his son Jesus Christ is the greatest of all motivations for genuine, joyful, and dedicated worship to God. I, I, when I think of that, I, just, I feel like this statement just resounds loudly. Like, no one should be more thankful to God than the sheep who are cared for by the good shepherd. We're already in. He's got us. He's already rescued you. We have his love, his care, his kindness, his mercy, his grace. We have him with us. We have personal relationship and friendship with him. He provides for our needs. He secures our life for eternity. He's forgiven you for all of your sins. He's given you a new life. There's no more condemnation for you. That's done. He paid for that. It's gone. We should be so thankful because we are the sheep in his pasture. And so whatever difficulties, whatever difficulties do come to us in life, every Christian finds here ample reason to give thanksgiving to God with a joyful heart because none of those things we just talked about are dependent upon our circumstances. They're dependent upon him 
and what he's done, who he is. Listen to this. He is God. I know it's a simple statement, but he is God. He is the creator who has made us, and he has made us his own people, creating not just the human race, but, but the church, the pasture for the sheep. And to say that we are his sheep is to acknowledge the tender love that God has for each of us. And that tender love overcomes every deterrent that we would have against thanksgiving. The first point that we walked through was that Christians should shout, serve, and sing to the Lord. And so our second point is Christians must know the Lord and his works. You must know him. That's that whole second section. Verse three, you must know him. So if you can see how it's working already just in the organization of this psalm, that begins with some instruction, some commands of what to do. Shout, serve, and sing. And then it gives you this, okay, let me give you a little bit of like the what you are, how you're able to do that, how you can be thankful to him. That's that second section that we just read. So here in this third section, we're going to go back to some more commands, some more invitations of, of God drawing people to his presence. And so follow along with me here in verse four. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. You guys, that's a simple statement. Like we, can, uh, we can hear that and be like, I think I know what to do. Like it, it, we don't have to like really work through some of what's going on there. It seems very straightforward, but I'm just going to tell you this. Here lies the overarching theme to Thanksgiving. Come to him with your thanks. I don't think we often think about the Israelites and how they approached God, how they approached the presence of God when they did. Um, but like, go with me real quickly. Like, uh, remember when the Israelites, like when they would enter into the temple courts, that's where the presence of God was inside the temple. Well, in those courts, there would be uh, blood sacrifices offered from sheep and goats. That was how the atonement for sin was given. And thankfully, because of Christ has come, those sacrifices have ended. But the thank offering continues. And it continues in the gratitude that should characterize your and my worship. An old pastor said it like this. uh, So long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. So long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. The next part of this verse, uh, it repeats this call to thanks, and it just straightforward and says, give thanks to him. Bless his name. So this this is our desire in worship, that by, by means of thanksgiving, we can give a blessing directly to God pleasing his loving heart and glorifying his wonderful name. I just love that section. So go through with again, that first little bit, those first verses one and two, gives you these instructions on what to do for Thanksgiving. Verse three then gives you the kind of how and the what you can do or the why you can do. And then we get some more instructions again. And so here we are about to enter into verse five, that final verse of it. And so we've already had the what. Um, The what was to shout, serve, and sing to his name. We've already been given the how to do that how we can be thankful. Uh, 
because we have to know him and know what he has done. And so now we're looking at this final piece, which is the why. And of all the disruptors that there are for you and I giving thanks to God, I think this is the big one. I think this is the greatest one, the biggest chunk of the pie. Why aren't we thankful to the Lord? Well, verse 5 gives us three incredible characteristics for God that are undeniably worthy of our adoration and thanks. And here it is. Here's the verse. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. For the Lord is good. I think we forget that we actually can't say that about anyone else. There are no other gods, lowercase g, that people worship who can be called good. There's no one that you've met in your entire life that could actually be called good. But our Lord is always good because that's who he is. And when he created the earth, he made it all good. When he reveals his will to us, his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Romans 12. The word gospel alone means the good news. The very word God, when you just look at it, it's like a shortened form of the word good. I just thought that was humorous, so I threw it in there. But it's no wonder that the psalmist cried out, taste and see that the Lord is good because it's who he is and he can't be who he's not. Does that make sense? Like that's who he is. So he's always going to be good. Moreover, God is good to everyone. Jesus encouraged his followers to love their enemies so as to be sons of their heavenly father. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, full of goodwill towards men. He's tenderhearted and he's quick to sympathize with you. Also, his plans are good. No greater greater proof exists than the cross of Christ. Here was the most evil deed ever committed as God's perfect son was put to death by wicked men. But so wonderful are God's plans that he made the worst thing ever to happen into the best thing that ever occurred for those who believe to him. The cross has brought salvation to the world, and if God can bring the greatest good out of the greatest evil, listen to this part, then he can bring good out of whatever evil is in your life, no matter how evil it feels or is. It's safe, good, and right to say it is all part of God's plan. Now, I know saying that phrase can hit us all in a little weird way because we've all had to suffer in life. Some of you are going through it right now. Some of you are coming out of that. Some of you are about to head into that. Who knows? But we are no strangers to suffering. We're no strangers to trials and hurts and pains. What's amazing is the goodness of who he is. It's so good that even if you and I were to pull in our collective hurts and sufferings, his goodness would outshine them forever. That's why we can say he's good. The second part of verse five says that his steadfast love endures forever. 
Uh, did you guys know this, though? Uh, steadfast love is sometimes translated in the Bible as mercy. So the word for steadfast love also is the same word for mercy. And, but th- that works, right? I think that works. God's love has this incredible, merciful orientation to needy sinners like me and you. And it's this merciful love, I think, that especially draws our heart to adore him for it. Remember the Apostle John. He went as far as to say, God is love. I mean, that means that like his love finds expression in everything he does and says. For he is love. And that love never ends. It endures. I think overall, though, I cannot think of a better example of this than the Apostle Paul. Um, remember that Paul, so when he looked at the cross of Christ, where Jesus died for sin, and he found assurance of his own place in God's house. In what may be well as regarded as like uh, Paul's personal credo, he wrote in Galatians, you guys probably heard this, very familiar. um, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Knowing God's love in Christ was the key to Paul's assurance that all things work together for good. Not just some things, all things. And remember, this is Paul. Really hard life, whole lot of suffering. But every single thing that happened to Paul expressed God's love to him. Even when Paul couldn't see the why and wherefore of God's dealings, he knew that there is love in and behind them. Since the Lord's steadfast love endures forever, Christians have every reason to enter his courts with thanksgiving. Indeed, to enter every day with prayers of blessing to his name. The final attribute in this verse 5 that we're presented with about his character is his faithfulness. God keeps his promises. He fulfills every single one that he has made. His word is completely dependable. He is unchanging in his will, his affections, his judgments. How wonderful it is that we have a solid rock on which to stand. The faithfulness of God and his trustworthy word are dependable. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once wrote this. He said, as our fathers found him faithful, so will our sons and their seed forever. Our heart leaps for joy as we bow before one who has never broken his word or changed his purpose. That's our father. Captain Dependable. That's so, so good. So as we're looking through these five verses, though, we have these kind of three big points. The first one was that Christians should shout, serve, and sing to the Lord. The second one is that Christians must know the Lord and his works. And our final one here is that Christians are and can be thankful because of who he is. That's the because. That's the why. Christians are thankful because of who he is. Now, I just... I hope that there is an appreciation for how clear this psalm is. Not all bits of scripture are the same, obviously, but like, what a gift. We're given the instructions of what to do next, then they kind of help us to understand how that happens, and some little more instruction, and then why we're able to do that in the first place. It's like a step-by-step process for being a thankful person to God. 
The psalmist tells us what to do, then how we can do that, then again what to do, and finally why we're able to do that. I mean, just a blessing. It's a gift, and it's not always that simple and straightforward. But I want to real quick take a little hook back to the beginning. Remember, I was asking those, those questions of those emotions and like, like allowing you to self-identify if you feel any of those things and how, if any, that kind of could uh, affect or interrupt you being thankful. As you make your way through this psalm, though, I hope you could start to feel that tension of not being thankful kind of start to unravel a little bit. Doesn't it kind of pull at the threads of the reasons that there may be some um, discontent in your heart, some lack of thankfulness in your heart? So in order to kind of wrap everything up together, let's kind of go back to that first question, why aren't you thankful? So does thankful, being thankful, require for us to be perfectly joyful and happy every time we want to be thankful to God? Do you have to be in like happy-go-lucky world with smiles on your face and everything's fine no matter what's going on and that's the only way you can be thankful? Can you be sad, depressed, disturbed, lonely, bitter, frustrated, discontent, unhappy, upset, dissatisfied with life and still be thankful? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. What an incredible relief that our thankfulness to God is not dependent upon how you and I feel about what's going on in the world around us, about what circumstances you're currently going through. And it doesn't detract, and we're going to get there in a second, it doesn't take away from any of those things. It's just a reminder. It exalts God up to the rightful place where he belongs so that we can clearly see where everything is. Yes, our current trials and sufferings are heavy and hearty, but we're going to count them as worthless compared to the glory of God. The rightful scale of those things. We just learned that being thankful doesn't come from those circumstances, doesn't come from our current situation. Thankfulness comes from knowing God. Remember when I got that Jeep, I just wanted to know everything about it. And each little doodad switch and flip, the sound of the engine coming on, everything that I learned about that car at that time just increased my level of thankfulness for it. I wanted to know everything about it. Everything I could. I wanted to know it as best as I could. And the more I knew, the more thankful I was. And God is so much better than a stupid car. The answer to the question earlier is we aren't thankful of him because we don't know him. Now, what we do is I think we do this. I think we put the goodness of God in one hand, and then our other hand, we put our hurt, our discomfort, our pain, our circumstances, we put our hopelessness, our fears. And what we say is these two cannot work together. They are irreconcilable. Is that a word? Irreconcilable. We're going with ear. Got a good nod, thank you. But like what we say is these two can't work together. His goodness, 
this crummy thing I'm going through, this hurt, this pain, this frustration, this hopelessness, this fear, these two things can't work together. How can he be good when things in my life aren't good? And it's a really good question. But the problem with that in thinking in that line is that here's what we've really done. We've rearranged the equation. We've rearranged the equation to make God's character subject to our feelings. And that's so wrong. It's really, really wrong that we would think he would change who he is. He would stop being who he is, which is good because things are hard for us. What we have in life sometimes isn't what we want. And I think I'm going to say this a little harsh, but I think in our arrogance, maybe ignorance, but in our arrogance, we think that God's character must not be true because of what's happening in my life. Really quickly, none of this is saying that what you are going through isn't real, isn't difficult, isn't painful, isn't confusing. What we're saying is that it's not, we're not saying that that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. What you are going through, if you're going through something that's really challenging, hard, difficult, even if it's a major thing, it's real. And we're not taking that away. What it does is that it puts him, exalts God and his goodness to the right place. He is always worthy of our praise. He is always good. He's always trustworthy. He's always loving and merciful because that's who he is. He doesn't change like you and I change. In our hardest moments of life, this is true. So what this means is like when it's the worst, when whatever the worst could be, when it's the worst, we can look up with tear-soaked faces to God our Father and be thankful for him. Still in our hearts, be thankful for him because of who he is, that won't change even if things are bad, that won't go away, that won't leave you when things are difficult. No matter how difficult life gets, who he is and what he has done will always be better and worthy of our thanks. So for those of us who are struggling, with being thankful to God. I said that not knowing him uh, might be a reason for some of that. And I think, it, I think that works in two different ways. The first way it works like this. The first way is for the believer. You have been rescued by God. Um, you are a new creation. You are a Christian. You are following after God. This is the one the way that works in that vein. Um, to this person not knowing him means that you have either maybe taken for granted who God is and what he has done for you, or maybe it means that you have backed off of investing in knowing him. Are you meeting with Jesus every day? Are you spending time in his trustworthy word? There's nothing that you will read or listen to that's more worthwhile or trustworthy than the word of God. Are you spending time in it? Are you surrounding yourself with other believers who are also chasing after Jesus? Are you knowing him? Are you intentionally doing the things to know him? Unfortunately, we as people, gosh, we're just fickle enough that we so easily forget the things that are most important to us because we have them. So if, if that is you, 
If, if you are that person and you're struggling with this thankfulness and you are a believer, can I just give you uh, kind of some marching orders today moving forward? <clears throat> Rearrange your life so that knowing God is a priority. I mean, full-blown audit. Because something's not working. Find out what's not working, throw it away. Put the important thing, knowing God first, and I promise you, everything else will find its rightful place. Everything else will find its rightful place. Now to the second person. Uh, the second person this focuses on uh, is someone who has not been rescued uh, by the, through their faith in Jesus. This is someone who is not a believer, someone who's not a Christian. Uh, and so uh, to this person, being thankful to God is going to be really difficult, rightfully so, because how could you? How could you if you don't know who he is? I mean, there's no expectation to be thankful for God if you don't know him and what he's done. But to this person, here's what I want to do. I want to give you what I believe is just the most genuine of invitations. An invitation uh, to the best relationship you'll ever have, to the best friend you'll ever have, best mentor you'll ever have. An invitation to receive the greatest gift you could ever hope for and never do for yourself. Here's, here's the marching orders, if you will, uh, for this person. I invite you to know Jesus and love with him. I invite you to know him. Go and know him. Fall in love with him. He will not disappoint. In our living room at home, uh, Lauren, my wife, has written in this pretty uh, gorgeous calligraphy on a chalkboard sign on the wall, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'd like today to read that quote in this whole form uh, for you all. It says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Here's the part that's on the chalkboard. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. Psalm 100 has impacted heavily generations of believers. One of the most familiar and beloved hymns of the Protestants goes by the name, Old Hundredth. Um, it was composed in Geneva by Louis Bourgeois in 1551 for the Geneva Psalter. I know, we don't care, but it's really cool. Uh, William Keth, a friend of the Scottish reformer John Knox, he arranged the words of Psalm 100 to the tune that was written that now gives it its current name. It's been labeled the Grand Old Puritan Anthem, uh, in early 1600s, King James I tried to get rid of it, make up his own, and the people rejected it. They're like, no, we want the original, we want the good stuff, we're going to stick to it. And um, this particular hymn, I think, um, Spurgeon captured the experience of it when he wrote this. Nothing can be more sublime this side of heaven than the singing of this noble song by a vast congregation. 
That same melody is best known today to Christians as it's sung in the words of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Psalm 100 is a step-by-step for being thankful. And I think one of the things I'm most thankful for this psalm is that it helps me to be thankful in light of current circumstances, in light of situations when I don't feel like it, when I want something else. And so I wondered if you would join me today in just singing the doxology, and we will close out the sermon by an act of being thankful and praising our Father together. Would you guys join me?